You're listening to the McKinsey Podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the issues that matter in business and management. Hello and welcome to the McKinsey Podcast. I'm Simon London with McKinsey Publishing. Today we're going to be talking about artificial intelligence. It's certainly a hot topic in the business press and also starting to attract quite a lot of attention in the mainstream media. You've probably read pieces about everything from killer robots to the impact of AI on jobs. But what exactly is artificial intelligence? Just as important, what isn't it? And how can companies put artificial intelligence to work today in ways that are useful? I'm joined today by two McKinsey partners who advise clients and conduct research on these issues. And I notice they also have PhDs in adjacent fields. So as a liberal arts major, I'm finding this somewhat intimidating. But first we have Peter Breuer, a senior partner based in Cologne in Germany. So hello, Peter. Hello. And we have Michael Chewy, a partner with the McKinsey Global Institute based in San Francisco. Hello, Michael. Hi, Simon. Pleasure to be with you today. Good. So let's start, if you don't mind, by defining our terms. Um, when we talk about artificial intelligence or AI, what do we, what do we mean? Uh, Michael, why don't you just give us your view? It's pretty interesting that the, this term is actually not a new term. It was first used over a, a, a half a century ago. But basically it refers to um, using machines to do things that uh, we consider to be, in quotes, intelligent uh, and being able to either simulate or uh, do things that um, we describe people as doing with their cognitive faculties. Peter, anything you'd like to add to that? As Michael pointed out, um, the, the whole term was invented by Alan Turing in 1950. So it's actually a pretty, I would say, well-known field. You saw a little bit of an acceleration lately because of two main factors. Uh, number one, the computational power is going up with exponential growth. And number two, um, the available data is going up with exponential growth. And therefore, you see methodologies around machine learning and now going even deeper into deep learning um, with new neural networks that are applied to those uh, kind of vast uh, 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 amount of data. Uh, so that you see, to some extent, the exponential growth in data and computational power leads now to the kind of AI hype or AI development. Michael, in, in a report that we published this summer, McKinsey Global Institute report, we, we actually talked about there being five technology systems of which machine learning is just, just part of it. Did you want to just run us quickly through what those five are? Earlier this year, we surveyed over uh, 3,000 different business executives around the world to understand the degree to which they were deploying these types of technologies. Now, they're sort of broad families of technologies, and they overlap a bit, but uh, they are where some of the recent advancements and developments have been happening. One of them is around physical AI, and so that's robotics and, and autonomous vehicles. We're seeing a lot of interesting things happen there. Secondly, computer vision, and, and uh, whether it's image processing, video processing, etc., the, the deep learning systems that Peter made reference to have made a lot of advancements there. Uh, similarly, around natural language processing, whether it's uh, spoken language particularly, which is interesting, but also written language, we're seeing a lot of natural language uh, work being done. Also, virtual agents or conversational interfaces. It's a bit of an extension on natural language, which is more of a feature, but this is the ability for 
systems to roughly converse with you, again, uh, whether by voice or online through chats. Finally, machine learning actually has tremendous applicability beyond the uh, application of the other types of technologies I just mentioned, and hopefully we'll have an opportunity to talk more about that. Great, that's really helpful. At least we know the territory we're dealing with here. Maybe we can bring it even closer to reality with, as I go about my daily life, I suspect I'm already running into artificial intelligence in action. Are there things, maybe Peter, that you see in your daily life that people will recognize that actually are powered by AI? I think we all do, actually. With our smartphones, uh, we all have uh, actually supercomputers at our fingertips. And um, some of the elements that Michael mentioned, you can experience in your daily life. The improved spell checks that you have when you type an email or a message in your smartphone, this is all powered by machine learning. Michael also mentioned language, the spoken word. Um, and if you, you will notice that your Siri or Google Assistant uh, learns every day and the understanding becomes better every day the more you use it. That's obviously machine learning in the background. And uh, I think most of us followed uh, the exciting introduction of the new iPhone X, uh, iPhone 10. And there you also saw in the press conference, it's all about machine learning now for face recognition, applied uh, also machine learning in face recognition to unlock your phone. So I think we all experience it already with our smartphones and going forward we'll see much more of it. What we're starting to see is uh, these underlying AI technologies underpinning a lot of the things, all the online and mobile services that uh, we're now increasingly taking advantage of. Uh, so for instance, in, in e-commerce or media, uh, when systems are providing you with suggestions for things you might be interested in, things you might be interested in reading or things you might be interested in buying, the next product to buy use case as we describe it. Increasingly, those types of systems are powered not only by statistical methods, but by some of these AI technologies as well, and hopefully bringing consumers uh, closer to the things that they'd be most interested in. I'm going to throw one more into the pot there, at least for somebody who lives, uh, I'm lucky enough to live in, in the city of Mountain View in, in Silicon Valley, and there are a surprising number of self-driving cars out on the road. They're training, they're collecting data. These aren't things you can yet buy, but I don't think there's a day goes past where on my little morning commute in and out of the office, I don't see a self-driving car. And it's interesting talking to the technologists because self-driving cars bring together a lot of the things that we've been talking about. They have machine vision, um, they have robotics, uh, a lot of what's powering them, of course, under the, the virtual hood is machine learning. So I think that's probably something else that will be coming to us um, before too long, at least. What about in a work setting, as we're working with clients on artificial intelligence? What are some of the more interesting business applications that we're seeing now? Autonomous driving itself is a pretty broad spectrum, and you find a development into different levels of autonomous drive. We would typically talk about five different levels of autonomous drive, and the automotive car makers are currently experimenting with what we would call level four autonomous drive, which means under certain circumstances, the legal liability when you run into an accident, the legal liability would be with the OEM and not with the driver anymore, which is obviously quite disruptive. And um, uh, I know here in Germany, 
um, our legal authorities are thinking about uh, the next level of law to actually cope with that kind of challenge, how to deal with it. Other than autonomous drive, what you see in, in other industries, uh, for example in healthcare, there are experiments with long short-term memory networks, um, which are currently on a level that uh, cancer detection is on par with like experienced medical doctors which is also extremely exciting. And again, with that exponential development, we will see soon that uh, machines are better in cancer detection, in um, MRT pictures or uh, X-ray pictures, better than medical, experienced medical doctors, which is, I mean, quite disruptive also. Michael, anything that you uh, see out there in client work, which uh, is really novel and kind of blows you away? One of the remarkable things is uh, the degree to which this is an extension of the things that we've seen in data and analytics before. As Peter made reference to, one of the enabling factors for machine learning to take hold are large amounts of data, and we've seen more and more data collected by companies and our clients, uh, whether it be transactional data, voice data, or data from the Internet of Things in the physical world. When you have all that data, you can extend the work you've done in analytics with these AI techniques. So take, for example, forecasting, a huge uh, and important problem in all kinds of fields, uh, particularly manufacturing, but supply chain, et cetera. And um, I think if, if you talk to any executive who has to deal with forecasting and ask them, could your forecast be any better? And they would inevitably say, absolutely, it could be. And with the amount of data now that we're able to collect, when we bring some of these techniques to bear, we can significantly improve the accuracy of forecast in many cases. And by the way, what's interesting about that is not only by bringing these techniques, say deep learning and training these networks in order to increase the accuracy of forecasts, you can often multiply that accuracy increase by bringing more data to bear, so external data from outside the organization, more fine-grained data from consumers. This is just one business problem for which we're already applying data and analytics. And yet when we bring more data, and particularly when we bring AI techniques, we can still materially improve the performance against this problem. And then when we think across the entire value chain within an organization, there's almost no place where these technologies, where AI can't improve performance. Something I've heard you talk about in other contexts, uh, in other forums, Michael, um, you mentioned a, a, a wonderful application of artificial intelligence, particularly computer vision, at the mine face in mining. Do you just want to say a little bit about that? I thought that was fascinating. Another perhaps surprising application of uh, AI is in the uh, field of mining, where you know in many cases you use it explosives to blow material off the face, and then you have a choice to make as to whether or not you want to use more explosives to create smaller pieces, or whether or not you can take bigger pieces back and, and mill them down. Um, and what we're starting to see is the use of AI analyzing video analytics to look at the, the pieces that come after a charge has been deployed, and then optimize across the entire system to, be, to improve throughput uh, as well as uh, efficiency across the entire mine. That's great. That really underlines that there are practically every industry, probably every industry, can make use of AI technology. And there are use cases right across the value chain and across the operations of most companies. I'm just going to put my uh, journalist hat on for a minute and, and just check us here on hype. You mentioned, Peter, uh, you know, to some extent, artificial intelligence is, is going through a bit of a hype cycle. From what we're saying, there's a lot of applications in a lot of industries and a lot of value at stake. This is very, very 
real. Do we think AI is overhyped, and, and if so, how? I would say uh, yes and no. There are, I mean, we try to basically define what is AI and what is AI not at the very beginning. We have not been, I mean, I have the PhD in mathematics, to be honest, we have not been super precise, right? I would say today we are in a phase where we, of course, have applications which we would call narrow AI, and those are very specific tasks that machines today can do better than human beings. Um, there's always that example of chess or Go now being played more successfully by machines than by human beings. And then, of course, there's that question about uh, a general AI, where you have a broader spectrum of capabilities that can be managed by a machine. And we are not there yet. However, the speed of development, we should not forget the speed of development is exponential. And the human brain is not wired to understand what exponential growth means. But we face exponential development here in those key technologies. So it is coming much, much faster than we can imagine. And therefore, I would say it is a little bit an overhype, but also it's coming extremely fast. And Michael, how would you answer that same question? Hype or, or no? There's definitely a lot of hype. Uh, but I think what we also say is that hype's not always bad. It does get people's attention. It can sometimes end up with overinflated expectations in the short term. But in the long term, we do think that there is huge potential. We're starting to see a lot of investment, which reflects the understanding of that potential in some of our research that we published. You know, something in the neighborhood of you know, 26 to almost $40 billion invested in AI in 2016, in the previous calendar year. Much of that with the tech giants and some of it from startups in terms of these external investments. That reflects the cutting edge in terms of where we see uh, real potential value to be created. Now that said, when we looked at to what extent these technologies are actually being used in production, a very small percentage of companies are either deploying this at scale or within their core processes. And what we expect to see, as we have with other technology trends that we've identified that truly have the potential to create value, is that that adoption will start to increase over time and we'll see more value capture over time. Uh, we, in fact, have other um, research looking at the potential uh, pace and rate of automation, including uh, technologies such as AI over time. And when you incorporate all of the factors, which include the technology development, as well as uh, requiring a positive business case, as well as the natural S-curve of adoption, we describe it as being slow in macro but fast in micro. It might take decades for the full impact of these technologies, even the ones that have already been developed, to propagate through the economy. On the other hand, if you're a company that needs to compete against the competitor who is using these technologies to compete against you, that will feel very, very fast. Or if it's going to affect you as an individual worker, that could happen quickly as well. And so I think that what's incumbent upon business leaders to understand this technology, understand how they can use this as a competitive weapon. Uh, because again, while it might take a long time for the entire economy to change as a result of AI, it can change a business case very, very quickly. Yeah, Michael. I can only agree to what you say, but this also means that any CEO of a large company, I think uh, if he is not on the journey or she is not on the journey already, um, they should move quickly. And the, I would say what we also said at the very beginning, we talk about the spectrum of 
big data, analytics, machine learning, deep learning, artificial intelligence. So my strong suggestion to business leaders would be start your analytics transformation now if you are not already uh, on that journey. And this will require to build capabilities, build technology, start the change in the organization, which will also be necessary to ultimately go into AI-enabled uh, processes and in AI-enabled uh, business. Absolutely. I think this is uh, one of those fields where there's a learning curve. There's a real learning curve. And the sooner you get started on the learning curve, uh, the quicker you'll reach higher levels. I wonder whether there's a case for a sort of portfolio of initiatives approach here, um, where you're looking at the stuff that you can do here and now, but you're also looking at the sort of second horizon and e even potentially getting smart about the third horizon of where the field is is going. Do we think that's something that uh, is maybe smart? Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think the fundamentals are anyways pretty much the same. Uh, we talk about a new breed of data scientists, data engineers that you need uh, we talk about new technologies um, uh, and new IT. And if you build those fundamentals, of course, um, our suggestion would be to pick the right use cases in the right point in time, which is the portfolio approach. And by getting started now with, the, let's say, easier and simpler use cases, that also prepares you to tackle the more, let's say, advanced use cases in the future. I couldn't agree more. One of the things that's easy to do when there's that much hype is to just listen to a salesperson and buy what's in their bag, <laughs> to use a term. And actually what's incredibly important is to look at your own business, understand where you want to compete and understand where this technology can actually uh, create the most value for you. It might be in an operations case like predictive maintenance if you're uh, competing on the base of your operations. If you're a sales and marketing oriented organization, then perhaps next product to buy or marketing mix or one of these other problems might be the place where uh, AI can have the most impact. And so looking across the broad portfolio and understanding where you should focus your energies uh, is incredibly valuable. One of the other things that's important is I think as, as executives and leaders, even if you're not you know, an IT leader or an analytics leader, um, this stuff doesn't work. And in fact, what we found in our surveys and what we found in our client work is that this has to be led from the top uh, if you're really going to move the needle in performance. You don't have to be the data scientist. You don't have to be the roboticist, uh, the AI expert, um, in order to make sure that this actually has impact in your organization. And so we, we, that, that executive leadership uh, we do think is important. I tend to say that um, bringing empowering companies uh, to become analytics or AI-driven is 50% about AI and is 50% about change of the employees. Um, and the, the second 50% is in many cases is forgotten because everybody is so excited about computers and robots. And we tend to forget that we still have employees and a huge organization for the time being that we, we need to train in those techniques and that top-down-led change needs to trickle down to every employee, ultimately, and they need to embrace the new technologies and the new opportunities, and only then you see the impact in your business. 
but you know, I, I do I do just want to challenge you on the point that as a general manager, surely you need to get a little bit smart on the techniques rather than just you, you may not need to be a data scientist, but I would imagine that really to have conversations with data scientists and to be able to think about the applications and the use cases in the business and assess them in an intelligent way and stress test them, you probably need to know uh, uh, just a little bit. What, what are the ways that you can, how deep do you need to go as a general manager and uh, what are the ways that you can do it? There is a very important capability that I think is required here, which I would call the translator role. Um, it is true that you have on the one hand side, you have the data scientists deep into machine learning and uh, similar techniques. On the other hand side, you have the business um, with managers and, and sometimes line managers. And, and, but there is, I think there's a translation required because ultimately, for the time being, the manager will make the decision and he or she will only make the decision based on better techniques like AI or machine learning if, uh, if he or she trusts in what the machine provides as a suggestion. And I think that trust needs to be built and some level of understanding is required. We all know the terminology black box and we don't like to trust the black box. Translators are required to shed some light into that black box and make it a glass box so that line managers develop the trust and build their decisions based on the recommendation uh, coming from the machine. One of the other things uh, that we've discovered uh, is incredibly important is that enabling power of data in order to have the data sets to train these systems. I had the privilege to talk with Andrew Ng, who's a premier AI researcher, and, and that interview is actually on McKinsey.com as well. He said the companies that are really taking AI seriously are engaged in multi-year, multi-dimensional chess games to collect the data they need in order to compete. And I think if you're in a traditional industry and you're not thinking about competitors who are competing on the basis of chess, who, uh, of these multi-dimensional, multi-year chess games to find data to, to compete against you, you're going to fall behind. And, and uh, you know, that's an important capability and a, an important mindset to bring to this problem too. Super. Well, I'm afraid we're out of time, which is disappointing. I could talk about this for, for much longer. But thank you, Peter Breuer and Michael Chiu, for a fascinating discussion. Uh, if you'd like to learn more, please visit mckinsey.com. Uh, you'll find a special page of resources about artificial intelligence with more to come over the next few months. And thank you for listening today. You've been listening to the McKinsey Podcast. To learn more about McKinsey, our people and our latest thinking, Visit us at mckinsey.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook.